What do you do um, when you're preparing for someone to come to visit? Now, before Christmas, uh, we looked at how you prepare for Santa when he comes to visit. Remember, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. A bit scary, wasn't it? Well, what about the Queen? What if the Queen came to visit you in your home? How would you prepare? Um, here's, here she is. Not bad for her, for her age. Not bad. Now, um, Here's, here's the guy, this is what he says, he says, this is what he would do, he says, how one behaves when one meets the Queen is fairly self-evident and obvious. Which, you know, I'm not sure how self-evident and obvious, but anyway, he's, a, he's an expert, this is what he says, this is what you've got to do, prepare to meet the Queen. Um, one should, of course, be neat and presentable, so you've got to get your dress code right, uh, when meeting the Queen, and one should not dress ostentatiously. Now, you've got to be so posh to understand that word that I don't know what that means, but presumably not over the top. And what else have you got to do to prepare to meet the Queen? Um, curtsying and bowing is required as the queen leaves and enters a room. Which is pretty. So get your bowing or your curtsying in place. And finally, uh, Buckingham Palace told BBC News Online that in the first instance, the visitee would be contacted by the queen's high sheriff of the county. Um, so preparations for the queen involve dressing well, uh, making sure you practice your curtsying and your bowing, and receiving a telephone call giving you all the details from the high sheriff of the county. Now, today's passage, basically, is John the Baptist, and he's acting like high sheriff. He's kind of giving us a phone call and telling us about how to prepare for when God comes. That's what it is. So John is basically like a high sheriff, telling us how to prepare for when God comes. And we see that in, in just the first few verses. So just look with me at verse 4. Uh, this, is, this is the kind of preparation. Um, this is a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked, crooked road shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. It seems pretty terrifying, doesn't it? The Lord is coming and it's, well, the levelling of mountains and the filling in of valleys. It's kind of like the Lord is travelling with a bulldozer and he's going to bulldoze his way to us. So it seemed like the best way to prepare for this Lord's coming would be to run. Doesn't seem much hope here, does it? The bulldozer is coming and you're about to get filled in or smashed low. Doesn't seem particularly, um, well, exciting, does it? It seems terrifying. Um, Maybe it would seem like if the God's like this, then we should run away. There's no hope. Or we should just stand there and get hit because there's nothing to do, is there? If this is what he's like. Uh, but as you probably noticed, I didn't read the last verse. <laughs> Why is the Lord smashing his way through? Why is he preparing the way for the Lord? The straight paths, everything filled in. Why? Because verse 6, all mankind will see God's salvation. The Lord is smashing his way to us so he can show us salvation. That's what's going on. The Lord is coming and he is coming to save. This is what God is like. He's a saviour. He's a rescuer. And John, the Lord's high sheriff, if you like, wants us to prepare for the coming of the salvation of the Lord. So how do we prepare? How do we prepare? Well, the first way is to repent. And we saw there verse 3, just look with me. Verse 3. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we're going to see there's two ways to prepare. It's repentance 
and baptism. They're the two ways you prepare for the Lord when he comes in salvation. And they're kind of quite similar, but we're going to explore them separately because I think that would be helpful. Uh, But the first one we're going to focus on is this idea of repentance. Um, And you think, well, what is repentance? Like, it's a word we use a lot as Christians. What does it actually mean? Does it just mean sort of being sorry? Or is it more than that? Why do we need to repent? Why do we need to do a a U-turn, actually? It's kind of what it's about, a total change of mind about ourselves. Well, I think the answer comes in verse 7. So look with me there. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee the coming wrath, the coming anger? I wonder whether repentance really is all about seeing how desperate your situation is. Repentance is to have a reality check about yourself and your status before God. Repentance says there is a coming wrath that will fill you in and flatten you out. That's what it is. John, the Lord's high sheriff, says, have you realised just how perilous your situation is? You see, if you've not been saved then what's going to happen to you is you're going to face God's wrath. That's what John's saying. He's preparing the way for the Lord to come in salvation. He's saying, if you don't see how desperate your situation is, you're going to get God's wrath. He's right, settled, and just anger towards those who refuse to love him and love other people. And you see, in this room, some of you are under God's wrath. You've not received salvation yet. Some of you have, praise the Lord. But some of you in this room, you have not. Well, let's have a little think about what repentance actually means and what it looks like. You see, we need to repent because of what's coming. But what does it actually mean? Well, I want to think about it a bit like this. It's, about, it's kind of a bit like driving the wrong way up a, on, a wrong, on the wrong way up a road, if you like. And the picture we get from Isaiah is that the Lord is coming on a road towards us. And anything that's in his way is filled in or smashed low. Okay? And I guess there's, there's kind of there's three options, I guess, when you're on this road going the wrong way. And the Lord is coming towards you. The first option, and I think there's probably quite a few of us in this room maybe who are like this, you're kind of... You've parked in the middle of the road. And I think this is being unrepentant, actually. You're parked in the middle of the road, um, and basically, you kind of come to church, but you have no love for Jesus. And you've really no desire to to do what he asks. You'll keep coming along here every week until you're 18, because that's what your parents want you to do, and you want an easy life at home. But you're parked. And if you're parked, that means you're unrepentant. You're just parked. You're just sat on the road. You're not really that bothered about Jesus. He's coming towards you and you're like, well, whatever. That's the first way to be unrepentant, is to be parked in the middle of the road. Because if you're parked on the middle of the road, what will happen when the Lord comes? Well, here it is. You're on a collision course. You get smashed up. You die. You face God's wrath. That's what will happen to you if you're parked. But there's another way of being unrepentant. It's to drive full pelt the wrong way up the road towards the Lord. 
And by that, I mean you're the kind of person you actually you hate Jesus and everything he stands for. You're bored of all this church stuff. You wish you weren't here. You can't wait to leave home and get on with your life on your terms. Well, what happens to that person when they drive the wrong way up the road towards the Lord? You get smashed. You die. You face God's wrath. You see, it's exactly the same as the person who's parked. See, if you're parked or you're going directly the wrong way against the Lord, you are unrepentant. Well, what does repentance mean? What does it actually mean? Well, I think repentance in this analogy is to get out of your car and ask to get on Jesus' car. That's what it means. To say, actually, I don't want to go the wrong way anymore. I'm not just sorry that I've been caught out. I realized that everything I was doing was totally the wrong way around, and I want to get completely on board with where you're going, Jesus, and get in your car and head your direction. That's what repentance is. It's not just, oh, I've been caught, and I'm sorry about that. It's actually, I totally don't want anything more to do with that way of life, and I want to totally get on board with what Jesus is doing and where he's going. That's what repentance is. It's the desire to leave the old car and the old direction behind and to get on board in the new car with Jesus and the new direction. So how do you know if you've repented or not? How do you know if you've prepared properly for the Lord's coming? Well, look at verse 8. It gives us a clue. John says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, I think you know if you're prepared properly for the Lord's coming, if there is fruit evidence in your life of a change. You see, I think it's fairly clear in that analogy, isn't it, that they go in two totally opposite directions. And so if you've stopped going against Jesus and you're now on board with Jesus, then there should be an obvious direction change in your life. There might not be loads of evidence, but there should be some. You see, if you've parked in the road or you're still going against him, then your life will not have changed a single bit. But if you have got out of your car and got onto Jesus, there should be some evidence of that in your life. Some evidence that something about Jesus has grasped you and you are now living in some way as he would want you to. In some way. That you might even have the desire to live his way. If there's no evidence of that, then maybe you have never actually repented. You've felt sorry and bad about stuff, but you've never actually really wanted to get on board with what Jesus is doing. And there is a whole world of difference between those two things. It's easy to feel sorry of being caught. Often I'm sorry of the consequences of my action, but not what I actually did. I'm sorry that what I said hurt somebody, but I'm not sorry I said it. I'm repentant of the consequences, but not the action. Actually, I should be totally ashamed and upset that my words hurt somebody else, and I should have no desire to do that again, and I should want to use my words now to build people up. That's what repentance is. 
And you see, my guess is that in this analogy, I reckon some of us, we are saved. We're in Jesus' car, but we're not facing Jesus' direction. We're still looking the opposite way, doing the old stuff. Wishing we were still doing the old stuff. Now, we are saved, but we're facing the wrong direction. And so we should repent of our wrong direction facing and turn around in our seats and head the way Jesus wants us to, looking to that as the best way. You see, now, some of you here might be tempted to think, I'll be all right. I don't need to repent. I grew up in a Christian family. But look at verse 8. John says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. You see these people, what, what are they thinking? They're thinking, whoa, 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 I'm Jewish. I have a wonderful heritage of faith. God is my God, and I'm all right. I do not need to repent. And John says, whatever. I don't care that you're Jewish. I care whether you've repented or not. John says, look, are you producing fruit in keeping with repentance? If not, repent. See, if there's no hint of a changed life, if there's no desire whatsoever to love the Lord and follow him, then you're either parked or you're heading still the wrong direction against the Lord. See, this opportunity to repent shows us something about what God is like. There is still hope for us, everyone in this room. Whether you've never repented before or you have, repentance is an opportunity to get on board with what Jesus is doing. And that opportunity is here for everyone this morning. You see, if the Lord was only coming in judgment, it wouldn't matter whether you're parked or you're heading in the wrong direction because you're going to get smashed. It wouldn't matter if you got out of your car and said, I want to get on board with what you're doing. If God was only about judgment, you'd get smashed. But that is not what God is like. If you say, no, I want to leave that behind, I want to join what you're doing, he'll say, get on board. Get on board. You really can get on board with what I'm doing. You will not face my judgment. You really can be saved. You see, it's interesting. The consequences of not repenting are clear in the passage, actually. You see, there's a guy who does not repent. Uh, Just look at verse 19. It's Herod. Uh, When John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done... Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. So here's John. He says, look, Herod, you need to repent. You are heading the wrong way against the Lord. You're heading for wrath and destruction. And what does he do? He does not repent. He locks John up and puts him in prison. And this is what happens to Herod in the end. This is in Acts 12, Luke's second book. This is what happens. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and he died. Like, it doesn't fill me with great joy to talk to you about God's judgment. But it is real. And the consequences of not repenting, of not getting on board with what Jesus is doing and where he's heading, are dire. It's death and destruction. 
Are you prepared for the Lord's coming? Have you repented? Have you said, I don't want anything to do with this old way, this old direction. I want to get out of my car and get on board with what Jesus is doing. Have you done that yet? Have you prepared? And the second way to prepare is baptism. It's baptism. Just look at verse 3 again. Uh, these two are linked together, repentance and baptism. Here it is. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And um, you might think, well, why, why is he connecting this idea of repentance, um, a sort of a change of mind, getting on board what he's doing with, with baptism? Why do those two fit together so well? Well, I wonder if um, repentance is, is get, kind of getting out of the car. Um, baptism is saying, I'm totally getting on board with what Jesus is doing. Baptism is saying, I'm totally getting on board with what Jesus is doing. I'm publicly totally getting on board with what Jesus is doing. See, remember the Lord is coming. And who is he talking about? In, in Isaiah, the way the quote's from, in those three verses we looked at at the start, he's talking about Yahweh, the Lord. And who is it who comes? We're going to see in just a few minutes. He's talking about Jesus. Isaiah was talking to us about Jesus. And that's what comes straight after what John's been saying in verse 21 and 22. And so baptism is kind of like officially, publicly, getting out of your car, heading your direction, and publicly getting into Jesus' car and his direction. That's what it's all about. Now, interestingly, at the time uh, when John was speaking, um, the only people who were baptised were Gentiles, now, if you don't know, there's, um, there's Jews and Gentiles. Jews thought they were God's people, um, and God loved them regardless of what they did. But remember, you need to repent. Um, and the Gentiles, by the Jews, the Jews basically thought the Gentiles were scum. They were unclean scum. And what would happen is, if you were a Gentile, you could actually join God's people if you wanted to. And in the Bible, it says you had to be circumcised. But the religious guys at the time had made up another way of getting in. You had to be circumcised and be baptised. And the whole point was, the image was of baptism. You all know what happens in baptism. You stand in the water, above the water. You go under the water and come back out. That's what baptism is. And the whole point was, the Jews said, look, if you're a Gentile, you need to go under the water and have all your filthy Gentileness washed off. And then you come up into the water and you're now a new person. You're now part of God's people. That was the point. Basically, what you were saying, if you were a Gentile and you were getting baptised, you were saying, actually, it, it's death to my old Gentile life and nationality, and I'm going to die to that. I go under the water. That's death. And I'm going to come up out of the water and now have this new life of being part of God's people. That's what baptism was really all about. It's kind of saying that old Gentile way is dead, and I'm now living this new Jewish way. I'm now part of God's people. And I guess this idea, why baptise then? Because baptism is just saying publicly, I've repented. That's what it is. It's saying actually publicly, I want to leave my old life, my old nationality, my old direction behind. That's going to plunge down into death in baptism. And I'm going to come up into new life, Jesus' way. That's what baptism is. And you see, if, if that happens, you really will be part of God's people. And it's interesting, so John picks up on this day, and he says that his baptism is nowhere near as good as Jesus' baptism. Just look at verse 16. 
Jesus answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It says Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Holy Spirit, what's the idea of the Holy Spirit being baptized in that? It's that when you come up out of the water, you now have the Holy Spirit, God living in you, enabling you now to live Jesus' way. To help you produce fruits of repentance. And the idea of fire, I think, here is judgment. Jesus is going to baptise you in fire, i.e. he's going to bring you through judgment and into new life. Repentance and baptism are both ways of saying, I'm not good enough. I'm outside of God's ways. I'm outside of God's people. I deserve God's wrath. I need a saviour. And so the way you prepare for the saviour's coming is to say, I'm in desperate need. Save me. I need to stop where I'm heading and get on board with where you're going. I need to put to death that old life and get on board with your new life. You see, I don't think if we don't think this is our situation, we will never repent and get on board with Jesus. If you've never asked Jesus for salvation, then it's probably because you've never truly realised how desperate your situation is. You think, I'm all right, I don't really need Jesus. I'm good enough. But John said to those who had Abraham as their father, who were probably pretty religious and probably much better behaved than you, so what? You're good, well behaved. So what? Abraham was your father. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, that guy said, like, how, how you um, prepare for the queen is fairly obvious when you think about it. And it's fairly obvious, I think, how we're supposed to respond for the Saviour's coming. Repent and be baptised. And the glorious thing is, look at verse 3 again. It's amazing, this. He said, he went to all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance. What for? For the forgiveness of sins. If you say, I need a saviour, you will be forgiven and you will be saved. Because Jesus has come. Well, why not spend a couple of minutes in your groups um, pondering some of those things we talked about? And uh, Maybe, have you repented? That's the big question, isn't it? If you haven't, you're totally unprepared for Jesus and he's coming. Here you go, a few questions. You've got five or six minutes and then we'll just look at those last two verses together. So... Uh, we say we need to prepare uh, for the Lord's coming. Um, but when we, we get to the end of the passage, verse 21 and 22, show us what happens when the Lord comes, when Jesus comes. Let me just read it again. Here we go, verse 21. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. See, what happens when the Lord comes? Well, I think the shock is he stands with us. So who of anybody doesn't need to be baptised? Remember, baptism says I'm in desperate need of a saviour, I deserve God's wrath. 
I'm sinful, I'm heading the wrong way. Jesus does not need to be baptised, does he? He's the one who's coming towards us. And yet, the surprise is here, Jesus is baptised with all the people. Do you see what Jesus is trying to say to us? I am your saviour, and how am I going to save you is I'm going to come and stand with you. That's what he's saying. I'm going to come and stand in your place. That's what he's saying. Um, It's strange, because we we all realise we've messed up, and we're worried, aren't we? How will God respond to me? Well, the crazy thing is, he comes to us. Um, Last night I was watching The Voice, because I'm like terrible television, and I'm unapologetic about that. Um, anyway, it's really interesting. Um, I don't know, I, I was going to go out to the, to the pub, but then I decided not to, and that's why I ended up watching The Voice. But I turned on, and this this moment, this guy came out, and um, he, had a, he, had a, he had quite a big sob story. It, was, it actually was quite sad. Um, something had happened to his niece. And um, he, he sung his song, and he got to the end bit, and he was supposed to do some, you know, amazing falsetto, and he didn't do it. Like, he, he messed up big time. And it meant that none of them turned round. And so he messed up big time. And it was really interesting. So the judges all turned round in their seats as they do. And one of the first guys to speak, Will I Am, he just, he just pronounced judgment on him. You know, in a kind way as Will I Am does. But he said, look, you, you messed up, didn't you? You didn't do the thing you should have done. You've totally blown it. That's what he said. And so this guy, he was crying a lot. And then one of the other judges... I was really struck by this. It really hit me, probably because I've been thinking about the passage all day, I guess. But he was crying. And one judge, she got out of her seat and went and put her arm around him and said, you know what? It's all right. You messed up, but it's okay. It's not the end of the world. There is hope. She assured him it would be all right. And see, I think sometimes we think Jesus is like the judge who sits in his seat and just says, you're rubbish, you're rubbish, you're rubbish. I want nothing to do with you. But no, Jesus is the judge who gets out of his seat, who comes alongside us, puts his arms around us, said, it's okay. And he does far more than the judge did on The Voice. He says he'll do something about it. He'll do something about it. See, Jesus comes and he is baptised with all the people. He stands with us and actually the whole point of him being baptised is he stands for us. He is for us. And if you like, he is plotting a path in front of us. He takes the path of the outsider and the sinner. And what is baptism? What did I say it was? It's like saying, actually, I'm going to die to one way of life and give new life and have a new life. Jesus is saying, I'm going to take all of humanity and I'm going to plunge it down into death in my death and raise it up into life in my new life. Jesus, if you like, is the driver of the vehicle. He's at the front and where he goes, we all follow. And so how is he going to save us? He's going to take us through death and judgment. That's what baptism shows us as you go under the water. And he's really going to bring us up to new life in the spirit. To even greater fruit of repentance. And do you see what the new life is? It's right there. It comes in verse 22. I think this is incredible. The new life is the heavenly father will declare of us We are his children. He will say, you are my son, with whom I love. With you I am well pleased. That is the life Jesus is taking us to. 
He's going to take us down into death and bring us up into a new life where God the Father says, I love you. I love you. I love you. So how do you prepare for when Jesus comes? Well, it's pretty self-evident and obvious, really. You repent, you're baptised, and you look forward to receiving this wonderful new life as part of God's family. Uh, So let me pray, and then we're going to sing a song that's all about that. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your Son who comes, and he comes to us, he stands for us, he stands with us, and he can forgive us. We thank you that all we have to do is acknowledge our need of a saviour and then receive this wonderful salvation. We can receive a new life as part of your people, as part of your family. And I pray that each one of us in this room would truly repent and truly receive that new life. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a happy day to finish, which I think is appropriate, um, because the happiest day is when we repent and receive this life.